0: Greetings and welcome to the Courageous Path podcast, which you can find on SoundCloud and iTunes and subscribe or follow there. My name is Rachel Horton-White and you can learn more about me at soulfulworkconsulting.com. Today I am delighted to share an interview with Avery Yale Camilla, who founded Portland Protectors an organization working to spread the word about the dangerous effects of pesticides being sprayed on lawns on city property the effects on bees and their dying off on our health and on our future environment for generations to come be sure to listen at 1926 on how avery connects the obsession that many people have with green grass and spraying pesticides on that and the connection to the dying off of the bees and our own food supply. And then at 34 minutes, some simple steps that you can take to make a difference. Avery Yale Camilla is a longtime food columnist for the Portland Press Herald in Portland, Maine, where she currently writes the Vegan Kitchen column. In 2015, she co-founded Portland Protectors, a grassroots group working to pass an organic lawn care ordinance in the city of Portland, Maine. She studied science at SUNY College of Environmental Science and Forestry and journalism at Syracuse University. She lives with her husband and son in downtown Portland. You can learn more at Portland Protectors' Facebook page and at thepressherald.com, where Avery has a regular column there. Hope you enjoy. Good morning, Avery. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for coming over here to my home. It's so nice to uh, meet you in person. I've read your columns in the Press Herald and... Was, where else have you written? A couple different publications.
1: Um, I've written for, for other publications too. Like I, I wrote something recently for um, uh, Maine Green and and Healthy Homes, um, but mostly for the Press Herald is what I've been doing recently.
0: Yeah. I've always loved your approach of just holistic living and parenting into food. And, um, and recently I um, heard about an initiative called Portland Protectors. And I didn't even know it was associated with you and and then I found out that it was associated with you. So can you talk a little bit about what that is? So Portland Protectors is just a
1: grassroots activist group and um, I'm one of the 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 founders, so there's two of us, and what happened was, oh gosh, a couple years ago now, um, my friend Maggie Knowles and I were chatting um, and talking about just how upset we were seeing people spraying pesticides around the city and, you know, having kids exposed and having our own kids exposed and whether it's neighbors or the city doing it. And we got together and we said, we've we've got to do something about this. We're going to do something about this. And we said, okay, we'll do it. And then we said, what are we going to do? (laughs) So he said, I don't know. So the first thing that we we did is um, we knew we wanted to address this issue. So we knew what our issue was. And um, we sent out an email to various people and organizations in Portland and around the state who were working on this issue or we thought might be working on this issue and said, hey, you know, is, is anybody, you know, doing anything specific about Portland? Um, n- nobody was really doing anything specific. There were people who were definitely interested and, you know, were definitely doing some work in the pesticide space. So, um... So from that initial email, we kind of got a a group of allies together. And um, we then started reaching out to the city council and... um, the, the issue about pesticides wasn't brand new to the council. For at this point, I think it's been uh, more than 12 years, citizens have been petitioning the city council wow. to address this issue. And it even goes back further than that because I think around 2000, 2001, maybe it was 2002, um, there was a group formed in Portland called Portland Pesticide Watch, which was specifically formed um, in response to the city's Roundup sidewalk spraying. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, that group, um, was able to get the city to reduce the sidewalk spraying by 50%. So, they've got a reduction, In but it's still happening. Um and so when we, we formed, the city was still doing the sidewalk spraying. And it had slowly shrunk over the years, a lot due to budget cuts. Um, and, but also because there's just so much negative public feedback around doing something like that. And Portland is not unique. This is done in communities all over the place. And they always do it very early in the morning because they know it's offensive to people. So they are wow. trying to, you know, keep it on the down low. Um, so that was certainly part of, of our work. And we did a lot of work around that. And, you know, one of the victories that we can claim is that as of this past summer of 2016, the city did not spray Roundup. They moved to an organic herbicide that they sprayed on the, the downtown sidewalks. Um, so, congratulations! Yeah, so that was that was exciting, yeah. you know. That that you know didn't get any publicity or anything, but that that has happened, and you know is, is certainly awesome. a victory for the environment and for kids and for anybody who cares about their health. Yeah. Um, because Roundup, its active ingredient ingredient is glyphosate, and that's what the World Health Organization has uh, listed as a probable carcinogen and um so it's dangerous stuff and it's it's widely used it's sprayed on food i mean i could go on and on just about oh, glyphosate gosh. and the problems with it um so we you know we talked to city councilors and said you know hey why you know what what the heck why isn't anybody you know taking up this issue you're you're hearing from residents and so i talked to a number of councilors and they're just like oh yeah you know they all kind of blew me off and finally after a couple conversations with one of the councilors who's no longer on the council he, he said, you know, yeah, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's try to push something forward. So working with him, he suggested that uh, we draft an ordinance and submit it to his subcommittee, the council subcommittee. So we did that. That went absolutely nowhere, but it did kind of kickstart the process. So now the citizen group has submitted an ordinance that Cause the city staff to submit their own ordinance because the city staff has not been on the you know on the side of this. They've very much mm-hmm. been an opponent of um, any changes because they use a lot of pesticides and want to continue to do so.
0: Why why do you think that is? Um,
1: I mean, uh, honestly, <laughs> I, I think it's really education. I think that mm. most of the education that goes on in, in the landscaping field is funded, driven by, influenced by the pesticide industry. Yep. So. Um, you know, I don't think people are, are setting out to poison, you know, citizens or the environment or kill off pollinators, but um, they just, they don't know. They don't understand organic land care. They don't understand the, the ramifications of what they're spraying and what the, the risks are, because if you listen to Monsanto, the stuff is all fine. Yeah. Um so so I, I don't think it's malicious. I think it's just a lack of education. Yeah. And then it's also easy. It's much easier to to use this stuff than to go out and pull weeds by hand or to mow um, or to even use an organic herbicide is not going to be as effective as Roundup. So so there's there's the easiness, you know, kind of problem. Um, and then there's a the lack of education Um so to just kind of stick on the education piece for a moment, um, one of the other victories that, that we achieved was this summer, there's an organization um, that's called the Northeast Organic Farming Association, and they're kind of like the main organic farmers um, and gardeners. Yeah, like they're, they're similar to MOFCA. Mm-hmm. Um, Their chapter in Connecticut... Uh, has a whole program around organic land care. Mm-hmm. And they do a lot of education um, on that. And they came to to USM uh, in Portland this summer to uh, deliver a course, a four-day course, I believe. And we did a lot of lobbying ahead of that, um, and strongly encouraging the city to send some of their uh, employees. And they did. They ended up... S- of sending, I think three, I think three of their employees, Mm. which is a small percentage of people who are working in this space. Something better than nothing. Right. Right, Something better than nothing. (laughs) One of them was the golf course superintendent. And now the golf course in Portland, which is right along the Presumpt Scott River, is the biggest user of pesticides in the city. The biggest user. All kinds of nasty stuff. They're spraying over there. Riverside. Riverside golf course. Mm. Yeah. Um, So be very cautious if you're ever at Riverside with children, because it's just, you know it's it's completely contaminated with pesticides. Mm. So they sent their superintendent and um now while he hasn't gone completely organic because of that, he did put out a a report um on their their reduction of of pesticides this year. So they reduced the the amount that they were using both dry pesticides and in wet pesticides and um he also noted in this report that for the first time, they tested their soil. Now, all these people who use pesticides, they they, they say that they're following integrated pest management. And one of the first steps of integrated pest management is you need to go out and scout the site. You need to test the soil. You need to see what the conditions are. Is there a pest problem? Is there, you know, what's the soil like? If you have, if you have unhealthy soil, of course, you're going to have pest problems and your grass isn't going to grow right and, you know, all these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So... Even though these people say that they, they follow IPM uh, integrated pest management, whether or not they do is, is really questionable yeah. because the first step would be testing your soil. So, as a result mm-hmm. of going to that course, which very much organic is all about the soil and is about healthy soil, it's not about product swaps. It's about you know maintaining and cultivating healthy soil. So, because he had that just you know four day training, it wasn't a huge course. Um, he learned some of that stuff and he went out and tested the soil at the golf course and of course the soil health is terrible the, you know yeah. it has no fertility and it's it's really 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 in bad shape probably cuz of all the pesticides because of the on. way they've been treating it because right. when you, you put pesticides on you're you're you know you're killing off all the microbial life and, and, you know, it's, it's a, a really bad cycle. So, so he tested the soil for the first time. So for me, that, that's a, that's a, that shows what education can do mm-hmm. that, um, you know, it, they didn't completely change his program and what he's doing over there, but he, he now knows about, a, a, you know, other concepts that, that he did before. So, mm-hmm. so working with the city council back to that, we, um, submitted so that ordinance. The city staff had their, their you know, ordinance that was was really terrible that was also, you know, rejected. Um, and so this kind of went along for a while at the, the subcommittee level. Um, and after just, you know, a lot of back and forth, the subcommittee said, okay, we're going to form a task force. So um, they formed a task force. I was one of the people appointed as the citizen advocate. Um, and so this task force is still ongoing. Um, and, you know it, it, may wrap up maybe in January, Mm -hmm. and um, it's really unclear what we're going to produce as a task force because, you know, there's people like me on the task force who very much are like, we want to be an organic city, we're very much about public health, and then there are four pesticide applicators on there who are very much on this committee. They don't even live in Portland. One of them lives in Portland, but, um, you know, they're... How did
0: they manage to get
1: on that? (laughs) Because they were appointed by C- the city staff, put this task force together. And as I just mentioned, where the city staff is on this. So, um, interesting. Interesting, yeah. So, so the, these people are basically lobbyists because yeah. they have been, th- this group of people, a, a number of them anyways, at least two of them, have been going around to other communities and, you know lobbying against their changes and you know they're part of a, a whole group called Mainers for Greener Communities sounds great right but that that group is Really that's the name that's of it. That's the name of it. It's their whole <laughs> the whole reason for Mainers wow. for, for Greener Communities to exist like is trickery to, is to stop <laughs> pesticide ordinances in in communities because oh one gosh. of the interesting things about Maine is Maine is one of only 7 states in the nation that has home rule ability to have um laws, ordinances that are stronger than the state or federal government. Mm. And why there are only seven is... Like the minimum wage one that we have, right? Right, right. So any of that kind of stuff. And Mm. so pesticide ordinances would fall under that. But Mm. why there are only seven is because the, the, you know, national pesticide lobby went around to state legislatures all over the country and got them to roll that back so that people couldn't do that. So there's only seven states left that can. Maine is one of them. Mm. And as a result, Maine has uh, more than 25 communities that have pesticide ordinances of One type or another on the books. That's good. Um, so, so we're really, really that's fortunate so, in Maine. Yeah, that's really awesome. So we mm-hmm. we have that ability. So now we're in the task force. Where that's going to go, you know, what we're going to produce, it's hard to say because of the makeup of the task force. Um, and uh, but you know, hopefully we will we will come out with something um, that's similar to the South Portland pesticide ordinance mm-hmm. that was recently passed and um what was that so so that there that sounds like it's an ideal that's what you're working towards right i think that i mean it's not it's really not my ideal ordinance because it has problems but it's it's you know it's strong enough it's a good starting point basically the south portland ordinance sets an organic standard and says that both the city and private residents you can only use organic products um Mm -hmm. And you can't use you know synthetic, conventional kind of pesticides unless you're one of these exempted classes, which would be like golf courses. They've got two mm-hmm. golf courses, one municipal and one private. Maybe they have three. I'm not sure. there's a couple golf courses in South Portland. So they they're exempted um, and you know other things are exempted. But if you were a homeowner and you know had some terrible thing that you thought you needed conventional pesticides for, there's a waiver process that you could go through um, to try to get a waiver. Um, And the other um, key component of that ordinance is that it has a a really big uh, education piece. So one of the things that I think is is a problem with that ordinance and would probably be a problem in any ordinance that that Portland would pass is that while it restricts what people can use, it doesn't restrict the sale. So any store in South Portland is still going to be able to sell conventional pesticides. Now, as part of their ordinance, they have... Instructed their sustainability coordinator to create this massive education campaign, and, and a lot of it is going to be focused at the retail level mm. to try to steer retailers to um, to organic and to recommending that to their customers. Yes. And the best example of that is Eldridge Hardware, which is a main based uh, hardware store. Mm. Uh, their flagship stores in New York, and um, York is near Ogunquit, and Ogunquit has at this point along with South Portland they have the two strongest pesticide ordinances mm-hmm. in the state in Ogunquit passed theirs a couple of years ago um, and so once Ogunquit did that the owners of Eldridge Hardware are obviously very community minded good corporate citizen type people and they said Hey, look at this. We're go- we're going to take a stand cuz I mean they were selling the regular stuff that Home Depot and all these other, you know, hardware stores sell. They said we're going to we're going to get we're going to phase out and then we're mm-hmm. going to eliminate the conventional pesticides and just sell organics. Wow. As part of that, they had to have a really knowledgeable staff who could guide people cuz people are going to show up and say, "Where's the Roundup?" You know, right. I want this and they will say, "Well, you know, the, that you can't, you know, that's not what you want because it's it's harmful to you and your pets and the environment and your pollinators." use this instead yeah. or do this instead so there there's an education piece that mm-hmm. they have going on at Eldridge which is which is really great but I mean they' they're really a corporate leader and, and you know that's have just awesome. been been awesome um, in that that field so so that's what the South Portland ordinance is like we're hoping that you know we can get something um, you know at least as strong as that if not stronger um, wow.
0: that's it's, and it's interesting how many levels there are it's like there's the city level which I'm sure some people, don't want to be told what they can and can't do, right? right? And they might do it anyway. Right. Because who's going to be, unless your neighbor says, oh, I just, I'm going to Mm -hmm. report you. or. But I think it probably was even more effective what you just said, like people just learning Mm -hmm. and you go into the, so it's at the level in the retail that, you know, the people who are the experts supposedly Mm -hmm. in the hardware stores. That are explaining to people why why this is better for right. you, and I think that's so brilliant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but it has, I think, probably my personal thought is it has to be at multiple levels, right? right.
1: And and, yeah. and there's also you know an interesting movement that's happening, people, gardeners, and people who just want a pot of plants on their their doorstep or something have, a lot of people have heard about this issue with the pollinators. So, if you're spraying pesticides on your plant, guess what? The pollinators are, are going to be killed off by that, particularly if you mm-hmm. have these neonicotinoids, which is a class of pesticides, um, and those are systemic. So, if you put it in the soil or you spray it on it, expresses throughout the whole plant. So, you didn't spray it on the blooms, but it will be on the blooms, and the bees and other pollinators will get it on them, and that, you know, either kills them or, you know, severely harms them, you know, you know, immunity kind of problems. Um, so, a lot of people know about that. So, people are asking for pesticide-free plants now. So, a number of the garden centers are going that way. Eldridge, as I mentioned, they've, they've just built a second greenhouse so that they can try to keep up with the demand. They can't. With two greenhouses really? going, they can't keep up with the demand for pesticide-free huh. plants. And they, they you know, buy some in. Uh, there's not really anywhere you can buy pesticide-free plants from. You know, it's like if you get a proven winter plant. It's all you know. The, really? It's all suspect. Um, but they sell some of that stuff because they just they can't produce mm. enough of their own to to meet the demand. Um, and many of the you know other places, Highland um, Avenue uh, greenhouse in South Portland, yeah. they they've they've been a real leader in this. And now I've also heard that Skillens here in Falmouth, they That's are awesome. are moving in that same direction. So That's people great. are definitely hearing this from customers. And I even heard from Tom Estabrook, who's Asterbrooks in Yarmouth, and. He has, you know, he's on this pesticide task force as one of the pesticide supporters, so he hasn't really been, you know, on our side about this, but at the meeting um, that we just most recently had, he made this statement, which sort of contradicted some of the statements he said a few months ago, but he said, um, you know, in our store in Yarmouth, Organic sales of products is is skyrocketing and conventional products are either declining or flat as far as sales go So
0: if, if anything, maybe it's not it does come down to money in mm-hmm. some ways, which in this case You know as if that's if they see that that's how consumers Are going and mm-hmm. I think that is probably a big message is that we as consumers we, you know, we can realize how much power we have. Mm-hmm. We, you, you, right. what you choose to buy. Exactly. So it's like if your people want more, nobody wants to be poisoned anymore, right? Right. <laughs> like I mean, in their food or in mm-hmm. their, and their lawns. For me, it was about seeing people spray. Pe- I mean, still in my own neighborhood, I still see people put sp- pesticides in their lawns. Mm-hmm. My children play right next to your lawn, right? You know, and when I was pregnant in my old neighborhood, I was being exposed mm-hmm. to pesticides in my neighbor's lawns, and I asked them to not put it on and. They I think they still you know it was interesting. Anyway, they're wonderful people, but um, it was like, well this is this is they were told by the company it was partially right. organic and it wasn't really that bad. It's just it was right. amazing. It right. was really amazing. Well, I think that's part of the issue too. I mean, I don't and think And it was more expensive to get the organic it stuff. It is more expensive right? to
1: get the organic right. stuff. Yep. Because so so part back. Of, part of the, the thing with organic that people don't understand is that Okay, so you want to have a lawn care service come and service your lawn, um, and you say, "I want the organic, you know, treatment," and it's going to be more expensive because organics, as I mentioned, is not a product swap. Mm-hmm. It's about maintaining healthy soil. So that means that someone's going to have to come out and scout first, and you know, they don't usually do this if you have a conventional program. They're not going to scout. They're just going to come and spray with whatever. They don't care what's there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're not going to try to kill off your clover because clover builds soil fertility. Um, you know, so, so so there's there's more labor in doing an organic program, particularly if you've had a conventional program because now your soil is dead. You've got, you know, you've got a lot of problems you've got to overcome. So there's going to be a lot more work to try to bring that mm-hmm. back, whereas if it's just a lawn that's been ignored and nothing's happened to it, that's going to be easier to convert that to to organic. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end, I, I think that the price will be less with organic, but it's that, the conversion point where you're probably going to be paying more. Well, it's um,
0: less if you don't.
1: You don't have anything anything at all. You don't have
0: to spend anything. But people want green grass. Right. And so there's almost like this education around why is that need? Why do you need green grass? Like, why does your grass need to look perfect? Or can you put some rocks there and have different plants? Right. Yeah. So there's this aesthetic
1: problem where people have unrealistic expectations that the pesticide industry has fed on. And then, you know, there's been a lot of misinformation out there when these companies say, oh, this is fine. There was a terrible case that happened in in Falmouth. I think it was two years ago now, maybe it was last year. I can't can't remember. But um, so there was a home um, where uh, some landscapers had come to do just plantings and and you know landscaping. They weren't they weren't pesticide people, and so two people were working and they were you know in the soil right down at the grass level working and then all of a sudden they're like wow we're getting really dizzy and they both were like feeling really woozy and weird. And then, um, and they had talked to the homeowner previously, who you know said everything was fine. But then they noticed at the end of the driveway this tiny sign that this said the lawn had just been sprayed. So, they got out of there quickly and you know washed off and whatever. I think they went to the emergency room. the The most disturbing part of this story is that they called the number on that little sign on the driveway couldn't get through to anyone. And when they did get through to anyone, they couldn't, they wouldn't tell them what had been sprayed. Wow. It took so long for them to find out. So like if they had been acutely poisoned, um, they could have just died and nobody would have known what they had been exposed to. But you know, they just, they were just mildly poisoned, um, but they still couldn't find Isn't out. It just, it's so disturbing. the fact
0: that they're just working on a lawn and they could die from inhaling what was just put on a lawn is mind boggling. Yeah, it's mind boggling. I mind-boggling. Don't think people realize what is being put on and right in right you know your grandchildren your children your pets mm-hmm. all the other animals the bees you know what is <laughs> happening, What's what are the ripple effects of the bees dying off, you know? And people don't realize there's some (laughs) real... It affects our lives. It will affect affect our lives.
1: It affects everything, and it's one of these things that, you know, it's a a risk. You know, pesticides, there's no safe pesticides. It's just a category of risk, like how risky is it? And people don't understand that, and they also don't understand there's some really troubling statistics out there about if you have pets and you spray your lawn, your pet is going to be way more likely to uh, succumb to and die of cancer. Same thing with children. Children who live in homes where they spray the lawns, oh gosh, they get leukemia and all these really terrible cancers at a much higher rate it's than harder. children who live in homes that don't. But when, you know, Chemlon shows up to treat your lawn, they don't tell you that. They
0: just say, oh, this is safe. This is fine. Don't worry. So it sounds like, you know, knowing that we can't rely on companies to give us honest and truthful information, not all of them, but a lot, mm-hmm. but a lot of them. So I think it's an element of people just starting to question this is what I talk about in my work, question everything you're mm-hmm. being told, and mm-hmm. it's especially from companies who exist to make a you know right. a profit or solely exist to make a profit. They're not focused on social responsibility, which, unfortunately, right. is the case for many. So it's like how, you know, I guess I'm wondering, what can people do, or, you know, somebody like me, knowing that I'm obviously on board with this, and who wouldn't be? Who wants to be poisoned? Right, you know? right. What can people do to kind of educate the other, you know, their, what can I do to educate my neighbor couple down, you know, houses down the street who puts pesticide on his lawn or Mm -hmm. or, or, their lawn, you know, and they may not you know, they might be like, "Well, I just want a green lawn, and it's cheaper this way." And, mm-hmm.
1: I think know. that's that's a really hard one because that's what people in Portland struggle with. Because there are a lot of like organic gardeners and people like us who, you know, maybe don't do anything and, and just you know just you know aren't really that obsessed with a, a perfect lawn, um, who live right next to people who. It's hard right. to get
0: in that mentality. Like, well, how are they thinking, and how can you? It's ch- so a behavior change. Right, it's a behavior change. Yeah. And so
1: I know a lot of people who've approached their neighbors with yep. information. You know, mm-hmm. also I mean, because there's there's tons of science on this that that Mm -hmm. show like how risky this is but if people's motivation is the perfect lawn easy cheap what they know you know they're Mm -hmm. you know they're they're probably not going to be motivated by science and as we know in this world of fake news and you know living in our own bubbles you know people don't you know (laughs) you know i'm not sure how moved some people are by by science and information these days
0: but what about with information about like the bees for instance Mm -hmm. i mean Maybe you can, because I'm not honestly as familiar with it, but what are, so people like, you know, somebody's like, well, why should I care? The bees are dying off, but they should care because, so can you explain, maybe you know a little more about it, like why, how that could affect our own, our food supply. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot,
1: I mean, a a big percentage of our food supply is dependent on um, pollinators and a lot of those pollinators are um, trucked around to the big orchards and the big farms and stuff and those are the the bees that we hear about that are are suffering the worst from colony collapse disorder because what is happening to those bees there's there's just all sorts of stresses on them so they're trucked around that's a stress just in itself to bees Mm -hmm. then they're brought to you know a farm or an orchard or wherever they're brought to and they are subjected to pesticide spraying when they are there Mm. so they will be Either sprayed directly, or they'll be on the crops that are, have residues on them. So now they've their immune system is compromised. They're bringing that back to their hive. Um, and oftentimes those same beekeepers these commercial beekeepers then treat the actual hives with pesticides because the bees have gotten sick so and they have mites and and they have viruses and stuff so they treat them with pesticides so you know it's it's just you know it's coming at them in a lot of directions um though it's like burning down the house to
0: save the house it it doesn't
1: make any sense it doesn't make any sense but then people who are just backyard beekeepers um they can they can be affected and then the the thing that's you know we really know nothing about very little about is the wild pollinators. Um, there's so many species of wild pollinators, and they're being affected, you know, they're not transported around, but they're affected by, um, you know, pesticide usage, and, you know, there, there's also climate change, you know, if, if the climate is changing, that affects every every animal and insect. So, so you know, some of that, you know, might be coming, coming into play as well. So there's just a lot of pressures on bees and pollinators. Um, you know so the self-serving way to look at this is like you know if you if the pollinators are all wiped out well we're not going to have very much to eat unless you know people are going to be out there hand pollinating and yeah good mm-hmm. luck with that <laughs> you know that's 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 you're not
0: going to happen so um so yeah so, i mean i pol- mean from a scientific perspective the pollen is how Seeds grow and how plants right how it produces it's, seed. The you, pollen helps plant produce right. That's their seeds. reproductive method. Reproductive, right? Yeah. And I think people may not know what it right. does, right? Including me, obviously. I'm a little, I'm a little uh, fuzzy on it.
1: But One thing we found in Portland, what part of our campaign that we've done? We have these little signs. They're bigger than the pesticide signs. I've seen those. The the be safe lawn signs. So we sort of borrowed that from South Portland because they they had similar signs. So we pr- produced those, and you know we we sold them quote unquote for a donation at uh, various okay. uh, you know stores in Portland. Those were so popular we could not keep up with the demand over the summer. I mean, we were just like printing them all the time and then like they'd run out and we were just trying to keep these stores stocked. It was That's unbelievable. It's a good problem to have, It's right? a good problem to have. And what we've heard from a lot of people is that they put those in their their lawn. Some people have like five of them all along their, their lawn. Um, but they become a, a discussion point because people stop and say, Oh, what's that? Be be safe. And then they're like, Oh, well, this means we don't spray pesticides. Oh, well, why why you know? So it becomes That's a talking great. point. So there's some of the education, you know, sort of a soft sell, because it's not like, you know, you drop a leaflet off at your neighbor's house and say, you know, you're killing my children. Mm-hmm. But it, it becomes a talking point. So so those have been really effective. We've heard from a lot of people that they've had those sidewalk conversations with neighbors um who didn't who don't know, who, mm-hmm. you know, haven't tuned into any of any of this information. Um so so that's been that's been effective um i don't know how
0: we could bring that to falmouth this is inspiring me cuz i live in falmouth to potentially my mother used to be on the town council so she has a little in on some of how those things were and she happens to be a lawyer so there uh. could be it could uh, I'm starting to guess all kinds of ideas, <laughs> maybe I could talk to you about it after. Well, and I told you I how to that, do that. that Falmouth was starting um, to talk about okay, this. Okay, yeah. good.
1: So there, it's already happening. That's good. Yeah, there's the, the Conservation Commission was directed by the City Council to, yes. to look into doing an ordinance, and I, I, I don't know if they've formed a subcommittee or what, but I, I've talked to a couple people who've talked to the Conservation good. Commission, so I'm not sure where they're going. I think they're closely watching uh, Portland to see what Portland yeah. does. They're well aware yeah. of South Portland, what they've done. Um so you know this is a movement that's going to spread because we've heard from a lot of yes. uh, different different communities Absolutely. like Yarmouth. Yarmouth is just waiting for Portland to do something. It's so funny, Portland—they're all waiting for We're Portland. We're all waiting. <laughs> well, the reason—I mean, it makes sense because why reinvent the wheel? Right. You know, if South Portland's yeah, already per, passed this ordinance, that's why I say less thats thats you know the minimum we'll accept in Portland is mm-hmm. the South Portland ordinance. They've already done it. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We could just adopt that, you know, as is. I would like to see it strengthened. I think there's areas that could be strengthened from the South yeah. Portland Ordinance, but at bare minimum, that's a pretty minimum, you know, sort of organic ordinance. Um, but I think it's smart of communities to watch because this is a regional issue. Pesticides do not say where you put them. They right. they drift off in the air and they also run off um, when it rains. So, and they go into groundwater, they go into our streams. I mean, the Friends of Casco Bay have tested the bay and, you know, the inlets like Presumpt Scott mm-hmm. River filled with pesticides. It's filled with pesticide residue. And every single pesticide, I mean, I've never heard of one, that they all have warnings and tell you, you know, their toxicity. They all say toxic to aquatic life. So, um, like a community like Harpswell, which is a very much a lobstering community, Mm -hmm. they have a, a pesticide ordinance And instead of saying everybody has to do organic, they've kind of taken a different route. They've banned specific classes of pesticides, um, uh, insect growth regulators, and neonicotinoids, which are particularly toxic to lobsters. So they've just outright banned those. You can't, you know, you can't get a waiver or whatever. Those just are not allowed in their community uh, because of their impact on the lobster population. And um, so, you know, so that's a, a route people, people could true. take. Um, but, yeah, you know, there's, there's just a, there's a whole plethora of concerns that, that come around pesticides. And I think that one of the reasons why it's so hard for people to understand this is because pesticides are invisible. You can't see them. Mm-hmm. If you get cancer, you don't know why. You don't know why. Right. You
0: don't know and it why. doesn't happen right away. Doesn't you don't eat the right apple. Right that's been sprayed and die the next day, but it right. takes a cumulative effect of you. And I think that's exactly what it comes down to is that in so many things in our society, we don't necessarily realize the long term effects because mm-hmm. we're so short term wired. We want immediate results, and if we don't see the immediate result, then we think it's not real. Right. So we gotta, it's like the psychological, it's, it needs to be literally like a rewiring of our brain mm-hmm. a little bit of how we approach these things, right? Right,
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. And I mean, I, you know, Um, you know, with, with the, with, with what people spray the, the testing that's done on pesticides is like acute testing. Like how much of this can you drink before you die? Um, and so that's useful to know, I guess, but there's no testing absolutely whatever, whatsoever of, um, long-term effects. So we all are being bombarded with small amounts of a huge cocktail of different pesticides. They're all in our bodies. They're in babies when they're born. They're in mothers' milk. They're and in the we're, water we're drinking. It's from
0: the water, from food, from the air, from the air. Which is, I mean, I'm just thinking of the th- like things that people can do to like try to buy organic mm-hmm. veg- foods vegetables yep. especially, yeah. right? Yeah. Especially like apples and strawberries. Mm-hmm. What else is lettuce?
1: Yeah, there's a there's, there's some, the environmental working
0: group has that clean yes. clean
1: 15 and the dirty dozen. Yes. Yeah, that that tell you which ones are the most right. most contaminated um that you know people can do. Yeah, cuz we I mean, even someone living their most organic lifestyle is still going to be impacted by these because of what others are and there's doing. There's some being sprayed in the air, isn't mm. there? And there's some interesting <laughs> studies that have been done on families that just ate conventional food and then they stopped eating that and switched to all organic food. Mm-hmm. And the testing, like the urine testing they do, it's crazy the way that the pesticides drop in the children. Because they test their, their urine or their blood first. And, you know, they all kinds of really, you know, scary pesticides show up in the whole family, including the children. Children have have more of an effect because they're smaller and they have mm-hmm. a higher metabolism rate. Mm-hmm. So they're affected by this more, more than adults concentrated are.
0: concentrated in their bodies. Yeah. Right.
1: So it's more concentrated. And... So once you switch to an organic diet, just within days, those levels drop to almost Uh, they aren't either detectable, or they're just really small. So I mean, that's something that people can do. And, you know, it's great for people who have the means, and a lot of people who have the means have switched to that. But, you know, there's also a lot of people who do not have the means to buy more expensive food. So, you know, that's really, you know, a social justice issue there, too. You know, it's great if if you have the means to afford organic food, and, you know, you you should do that. But, you know, what about the people who can't afford that? And a lot of this gets back to agricultural policy, and the farm bill, and the subsidies that are given to to massive conventional farms and not to organic farms, and um, given to you know crops that feed livestock versus you know fruits and vegetables. So there, there's you know there's a whole other you know thing at play here. But um,
0: but yeah, eating organic food is definitely yeah. something people can I do. And I think my hope is that the movement of people demanding organic and hopefully buying it when they can, even mm-hmm. you know, is is doing a little bit, you know, shifting, or at least mm-hmm. even if people can't afford, it, they could speak up mm-hmm. and say to their Congress people or local city councils or town governments that this is what we want, just like you're doing right mm-hmm. yep. yeah, yeah, um, so yeah, I mean, does that do you have any I mean now that we've just talked about that, but any other like suggestions of somebody who might be listening to this who thinks, well, this is I want to do something, you know is there are there things people can put on their lawns now or you know? besides our own personal shopping habits that things that people can do like you are going to their towns or Mm -hmm. talking to their neighbors and friends what do you what do you think? So if people listening to this are in Maine um, they should
1: definitely go to their town and um, say, you know, we want to do something different. I think that who would they talk to specifically? Well, the thing that I would recommend people do first is find an ally, like mm-hmm. at least just one other person, maybe three people. You know, if you've got a group, it's more powerful than just one person. Mm-hmm. If you only have one, you can't find anyone else. Still do it, but yeah. if you can find, you know, a friend or two who thinks the same way, that that it will be really helpful. Yeah. Um, and so it depends on your town and how it's it's set up. Uh, some of the smaller towns. Um, you might just talk to your town council chair, or you might go to the conservation commission. Um, a larger community like Portland, you know, we went to the subcommittee of a you know a city council. So you know, it kind of depends when on you how you
0: go to. Because I mean, some people who have never done this kind of work, like, do you mean literally like. Do you call them them. or write them a letter or send them an email? Yes, and all of those. And you can just go to the town website and find out who the counselor is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just trying to break it down like that basic, you know, and so send an email and say, this is what we. You right. don't need to. You don't need to be a lawyer, right? No, you just no. say this is what we want. How right. can we make this happen?
1: And this is what you know. Okay. <laughs> town councilors and city councilors. I mean, they hear from residents all the time who are you know yes. asking for something. You know, depending on yeah. your town, too. You know, in Portland, a lot of this started with with citizens going to the city's Parks and Rec department, which mm-hmm. is the department that oversees all this pesticide spraying going on in, in the city from the municipal level. Um, we didn't get very far with that, you know, that, that's why we then took it to the council level, because the, yeah. the city employees were not listening to the mm-hmm. residents. So we made it a political and issue. And that's what
0: city councils are there for, to be responsive to what people want. Right. Right. If you you know, but some people might live in a more
1: responsive community mm-hmm. where they could just go to their their town manager mm-hmm. or uh, their parks and rec director and have this conversation, and maybe they would yep. say, "Oh, okay, well, we'll we'll try to do something better." Yep. that would just address the, the the municipal side of things. Um, so if you're in Maine, um you know you you would have the ability to to basically petition your city to pass an ordinance and there's Mm -hmm. there's lots of precedent now here in maine there's there's all kinds of of help for that and an ordinance is basically another word for a law right it's a law yeah so that's what municipal you know towns and cities call laws they call them ordinances um and if you are in a community like i have um someone that I've connected with on Facebook who's in Atlanta, Georgia, in a subdivision where she's just surrounded by, you know, it's it's way worse in the south than it is here in Maine. I mean, there's definitely a lot of lawn spraying and people who want this, you know, unrealistic expectation of we a get perfect a break lawn
0: for during the winter.
1: We right? get a break and people, you know, t- people tend to be more natural minded here in Maine, yes. but down south, I lived down south for a while and you know, there, there's a different mindset going on down there. So she's in Atlanta just, you know, being inundated. She can't do anything in, in Georgia. You know, they, they don't have, you know, uh, home rule. So they, the pesticide industry mm-hmm. got to Georgia. She can't do anything. But she's got this massive campaign going on online where she creates all these memes on her Facebook page. And she took actually our, our Be Safe sign. We shipped her the, um, the graphics and she made her own. And so she's awesome. got those down. You know, they're all down in the Atlanta area now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so she's just really going at it from an education point of view, because she can't do anything. There's no legal avenue yes. for her to but do anything. so she can educate
0: just her friends and neighbors, mm-hmm. and then they can just buy, they can just use their consumer spending power, right? right? right
1: yeah Yeah. so i mean so it kind of depends on where you are and you know what what you can do but um but you know i think that even even if it's just you know posting stuff on your facebook page i mean that's better than nothing to try to educate educate people and, and get out there and let people know because i mean um you know we're up against an industry that has billions they spend not only lobbying you know, governments, either at the federal level or state level or the local level, but also just producing all kinds of uh, promotional things, whether it's a television advertisement or whatever that, that says. I mean, you see the Roundup advertisements. Now, if you're using Roundup, you should be wearing gloves and probably other protective gear. You see these roundup commercials. It's just like some guy in his yard, like spraying this, like it's water. Um, So that makes it seem like it's really safe. Oh, I saw it on TV. It's kind of funny. You know, it looks like this is, this is fine. This is normal. Like people wouldn't question that. I know plenty of people who didn't question it until (laughs) they heard me, you know, going on about this. And were like, wait, maybe this isn't, you know, all it's crapped up to be, um, so it's having the courage to speak up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've, yeah. Right. And I think that one of the things that, that I tell people a lot is, e- you know, even if pesticides isn't your issue, whatever your issue is, we all should have an issue. Maybe multiple issues. Something you're passionate Something about. Something we're passionate about and that yeah. we try to educate people on because there's so much misinformation out here and corporate driven information. Um you know, we need to have more people sharing sharing science, sharing the truth, and um, you know, just education. Education is powerful. It's not immediate, and it doesn't. You know, it often. You know, it's hard to tell um, its impact because it takes longer. But education is hugely powerful, and social media is a, an amazing tool.
0: Well, and stand. What happened in Standing Rock with mm-hmm. the water protectors, mm-hmm. and, and you know, even I think most people know that it was about you know these corporations trying mm-hmm. to build a line of I'm not going to... What was an Oil pipeline? Line, yeah. Pipeline, pipeline underneath the sacred land, um, which was going to contaminate their water. Anyway, mm-hmm. the, um, the Lakota tribe, that it was through social media, really, mm-hmm. that everybody mobilized. Tens of thousands of people mm-hmm. mobilized and went there and got support. And it was totally grassroots. Mm-hmm. And they were successful in getting them, at least temporarily, to to stop right. not building that pipeline. So, I mean, there is... That gave me so much hope, right. just seeing what people can do. Right, right. I think we tend to get overwhelmed and just be like, oh, my God, we can't, what can I do? There's... These huge companies that are lobbying and they're just mm-hmm. going to keep doing it, and it's cheaper. So that's, but it's just you got to start somewhere. You got to right? start somewhere. You yeah, got to start, start small, right? right? And
1: it is. It's overwhelming. I, I, when I went to school, I studied and graduated with a degree in environmental science, and I used to sit around with with my friends in the same major and just say, "Oh my gosh, this is the most depressing major because all we did all day long <laughs> is no. learn about like everything that's going wrong." Right. But even if you are aware of that and you're aware of you know social justice problems, environmental problems. I mean, there's so many problems going on but even if you can just pick one or two that you're really passionate about and try to educate people and spread the word about that because we have these social media tools yes. and even just sitting around you know a, a, you know dinner table and stuff you know you can share this information and and information does spread through social networks whether yes. or not they're online or in person so yes we you the know power we, of the internet <laughs> right we all need to be you know committed to this kinda of stuff and I know you know people are kinda of freaked out about the recent presidential election but I think that that should be an impetus for everybody to really get more active it in makes, your local forces communities. us
0: to mobilize mm-hmm. if anything that's what I see as one of the bright aspects of this is that we're saying instead of giving our power away to representatives mm-hmm. who, you know, honestly weren't maybe even representing our best interests even when we they were the candidate we wanted. right? Um, like, it forces us to take back responsibility for what mm-hmm. we want. And I think, you know, one thing I was just thinking of in my own work, too, is in that, you know, in terms of behavior change and talking to other people about it, I think, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, but it's saying things in a way that it's like Try not to be preachy, mm-hmm. you know, so people just be like, oh, you're telling me what to do and you mm-hmm. know more than I do. and you. Th-. But just saying, well, this is what I choose to do and I choose to do this because it's like it's I want to be healthy and I want to live a long life. I want my right. children to be healthy, right? I right. think it's kind of just like who doesn't want that right right
1: (laughs) well and here's a great example this isn't about pesticides but the the column that I write for the Press Herald is about uh, vegetarian plant-based vegan kind of eating and I've been doing that for a long time it's had a bunch of different column names and whatever but I've been writing about that topic consistently for years now and so so I kind of have this platform and like who knows who's reading my stuff because it just shows up in a a daily paper um, and in online on the internet but um, you know I also have a you know extensive network of friends and family members who eat with me and see you know what I'm doing and it's Are really you vegan yes I, I've been for vegan you. for a long time um, and um, it's been interesting it's really ramped up in recent years where I'm getting emails from readers who said you know I've been reading your stuff for years and guess what I finally gone plant-based or I'm trying to eat more plant-based stuff and you know so great you know I have this platform but then there's also people who I know who aren't reading my columns, you know, they don't live here, or they, you know, they, you know, my relatives, you know, whoever they may be, who just see what I post on social media. That's also had an effect on people. I've had people, you know, say to me, Avery, you know, just all those things you've been pa- posting on Facebook, like, I finally am going plant-based. I'm wow. eating more plant-based food. I'm trying to do this, that's you know, for so the animals, cool. for the environment, whatever their motivation people, is.
0: It's part of this whole shift in consciousness. People are starting to want a different way. Right. That's awesome. Good and like, you. you know, some of the things I've written is they're probably
1: kind of confrontational around that or have been, you know, they're not, they're not really the soft sell. But when, you know, I'm eating with people, I I, I find it offensive if people are talking about diet while you're eating. And, you know, people do ask me, why, what do you, why are you a vegetarian? And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. that's not really the question you want to ask someone <laughs> at, at dinner table if you want an honest answer. Right. But um, so I'm not, I'm not, you know, one of these like, you know, militant type of vegans who's, you know, trying to pressure everybody into there. But it's, right. it's just like, cigarette smoking. There's uh, interesting studies around when people stop smoking cigarettes, because everybody used to smoke cigarettes, and then people stop, and it all spread through social networks. So like, if your, you know, friends, your aunt and uncle stopped, and then your mom and dad stopped, that just spread through everybody's network, and they stopped doing it. Um, So you know, that that wasn't, you know, people, I mean, there probably was some preaching involved in that. But you know, this kind of stuff spreads through families and social networks. And yeah,
0: I think that's, oh, I I see so much hope and thanks in large part to what you're doing. You know, people like you taking, having the energy and the courage and, you know, being willing to put up with the, it's a fight, a little bit of a fight for a little while, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you're making progress, so. Right, right. Any, Any last, you know, words of advice or anything you want to share with people before, you know?
1: Um, um, you know, I would say, um, you know, definitely get active, you know, people need to be active about what they're passionate about. If anybody listening has, you know, been, been exposed to pesticide drift from a neighbor, um, and if they live somewhere where they can't enact a law or do anything, um, you know, they, there, there are probably some avenues in Maine, if, even if you live in a community that doesn't have an ordinance or have any enforcement, if, if you have drift come onto your property, Um, You can call up the main board of pesticides control, and every state has, has a body that's similar to that, and tell them, like, you know... Hey, the, the lawn care company sprayed my lawn instead of my neighbor's lawn, or they sprayed their lawn and it drifted in through my open window into the nursery, or it came over and killed all my plants, or you know. So you can you can call and complain about that in Maine. Um, they say they'll send an inspector down within 24 hours to do some testing. Really? Do I don't think they get a lot of calls, and I'm not sure how often this actually yeah. happens. But um, but that is an avenue. So it's if, through
0: the environmental, how would you find the so it's the, it's the the
1: Maine Board of Pesticides. Control. And I think in Maine, they're part of the, the Department of Agriculture. But if you Google Maine Board of Pesticides yeah. Control, you would find okay. it. And, and I, most states will have, they, they all have, a you know, it's, it probably won't have the same name, but they all have yeah. a regulatory that's body great. that oversees what pesticides are allowed to be sold in the state. Um, so that's, that's the function of those groups. But they do do some... They're also the group that hands out fines. That story I was telling about the landscapers who were poisoned, Mm -hmm. um, there was a small fine that was finally given to the the firm, maybe like 500 bucks or Mm -hmm. 200 bucks. I mean, all the fines get reduced, and it's really kind of a joke, um, in my opinion, what what they're doing for fines. But, you know, there's always an action people can take. There's always something that that people can do, whether it's just sticking a sign in your yard to try
0: Mm -hmm. to educate people. um, And where can we get signs? I mean, I I don't live in Portland, but... So or maybe not for you guys. <laughs> right, right now our signs are all
1: sold yeah. out, um, and we're not going to be getting any more till summer because you know it's winter in Maine, and yeah. you know what are we going to do with the signs? Um, and so you know, right now there really aren't aren't very many signs to to because you could make your own. You could make your own. I've seen some <laughs> that people have done like huge signs that say you know. You know, pesticides kill bees or, you know, whatever. So you can make your own sign. You can make a handmade sign, um, you know, that you could put out there that would be re- weather resistant. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a
0: great. Is there any thing. national organization that makes a sign like that for lawns that looks a little more I'm not professional. sure. You could check with
1: Beyond Pesticides, which is Beyond a, a pesticides? Beyond Pesticides. They're based down in D.C. Dot org um yeah probably i'm yeah, not I'm sure exactly what their, their, their okay. website is but they're they're a great organization i don't know if they have any any signs like that but they might know right. of someone who good
0: does so. yeah so they're, they're a good resource too okay. well thank you so much oh Avery. you're this welcome been, uh, so interesting for me to hear and just so so important for the environment and the planet what you're doing so and inspiring Oh well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, and we'll but oh, forgot. What's your website so people can find more about Portland Protectors? Um, so
1: we do have a uh, a website that's not really very updated. So I would say the best way to find out what we're doing is to go on Facebook. Okay. Uh, Portland Protectors on Facebook. Okay. Uh, it's Facebook dot com slash Portland Protectors. But that's okay. where we have our most up to date information. Um, is is on Great. that that. Uh, Great. And outside. if people want
0: to sign up for your email list, they can do it there. They can do it there too. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Avery. Oh. It's been such a pleasure. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this interview. For more information about me, you can visit www.soulfulworkconsulting.com. And I'm Rachel Horton White. Thanks so much for listening.